I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. In the morning, and then quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. It's a ripoff, declares Joe Biden. He's confused, but he managed to put together a video, and that was displayed on Super Bowl Sunday. So what was he saying? He says he's concerned because he thinks Americans are being ripped off, and he's going to go to their defense. I want to point out a gigantic piece of hypocrisy from Joe Biden, who heads up the government, the federal government, the executive branch anyway, of the United States of America. And let me get into that in just a moment. First, welcome to the best conversation and talk journalism. It's right here every day. And if you want to join in, it's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. We put up a brand new question on X every day. Uh, should some American cities set the minimum wage at, wait for it, $50 an hour as some Democrats are now proposing. I'm not kidding. We've got somebody running for the United States Senate in the state of California, uh, Barbara Lee, Representative Barbara Lee. She is in the House of Representatives now. She'd like to be in the U.S. Senate. And I tell you from time to time that I think the Democrats are just bug house crazy. But this seems to be some good evidence of that. She has actually stood up in a debate in which she's competing with three other Democrats for the U.S. Senate seat from California. They're proposing anywhere from $25 to $50 an hour, which translates to over $100,000 a year. That's what minimum wage would be if uh, soon-to-be or possibly-be U.S. Senator Barbara Lee has her way. She wants minimum wage jobs to pay $100,000 an hour. Now, I think that's absolute lunacy. She was asked specifically, but how is this going to be handled by small business people? And she gave a nonsense answer. And then, of course, the TV talking head who was involved in the debate just went on to the next question of a different candidate on a different subject. I mean, there was all kinds of ground to be gained there because Barbara Lee said, well, I used to run a small business. I wish the interviewer 
in this debate had actually said, well, if you were running your business today and tell us what it was, how would that have worked out? Let's say you're running a, a, a small business that depends on minimum wage workers, like fast food operations. Although in many bigger cities, they couldn't begin to pay as low as the state minimum wage, which might be 15, 16, 17 dollars an hour, because if they paid that much, they wouldn't get any workers at all. Now, I'm sure at a hundred thousand dollars a year in salary, you'd probably get all the minimum wage burger flippers that you want. But the problem is, what would your hamburgers cost if the labor that makes up one-third of the cost of the average fast food or restaurant operation, if you were paying cooks more than that, but if you're paying the busboys $100,000 a year, how much would you have to charge for a meal to actually make any kind of profit? I mean, there are Democrats out there who seem just absolutely wedded to the idea that all you have to do is tell businesses to do something, and they'll do it no matter how much it costs, no matter what it does to their business. So should some American cities set the minimum wage at $50 an hour, as some Democrats are now proposing? I'd answer that one, no. I'd love to hear the naysayer who goes out on the other side of that one. You can find the poll on X, at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Now, yesterday, I asked you the question, the White House has banned the use of TikTok by its employees and federal government employees, and yet Joe Biden's political campaign is using TikTok, which is a Chinese communist spy app, uh, and should he be? And my answer to that was no. 90% of you said no, but a full 10% of you said, yeah, Joe should be on TikTok and ban it for the rest of the government, but his campaign can use it all day long. But I want to get into this thing that Joe Biden is trying now because his attempt to run for re-election on the idea that Bidenomics is going great with groceries up about 26 percent, with gasoline prices up more than 30 percent, with mortgage rates up 100 percent, with all those things going on. Joe Biden tried to go out and convince Americans that Bidenomics was working out famously for Americans. Well, it may be working out for the Biden crime family, not so well for everybody else, because the average paycheck up there is still lagging by a couple of percentage points behind the increase in prices. So whatever you were making three years ago in real dollars today is less than it was three years ago. Not only have you not seen an increase in spendable income, you've actually seen a drop. So Joe Biden has decided to re-triangulate and try a different approach, and he's calling it shrinkflation. Listen to this. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. A bag of chips is fewer chips, but they're still charging it just as much. Now, that's his complaint. They made the package smaller, they made the content smaller, but they're paying or they're charging just as much. We all understand that different companies are going to offer different products in different size packages. Those are going to change all the time. The price will change as well. I know that there are companies out there, because I'm not a marketing expert, but I know that there are companies saying, we want to charge less than $1 for our candy bar. If we can't make a, a candy bar of, say, 10 ounces for that amount of money and sell it at a profit, we'll make the candy bar a little bit smaller. We'll keep the snack at $1 because they know that some consumers are going to buy based on the price. They aren't necessarily going to buy by, based on the rate, uh, the, the weight of that product. But they know what's going on. But let me point something out to you that Joe Biden manages to ab absolutely commit a gigantic hypocrisy. Do you know what else has been shrinking badly, but now costs either the same or a lot more money? That would be government. 
not just government at the federal level, government at the state level, government at the county level, government at the city level, at every single level of government right now. Americans are paying more and getting less. Now, you don't put the Pentagon or the United States military in a potato chip bag. But if you imagined it that way, consider this. We are paying more for our military and our national defense, and we are getting less. And if you don't believe me, ask anybody who's recruiting for the United States military. No matter which branch of the service, I guess Space Force is doing okay. But Air Force, Army, Marines, Navy, the whole... Ma the, these people are people we're very proud of, but the problem is we're paying more and we're getting less in the way of national defense. Then consider this. Are you paying the same or more taxes than you were three years ago? When you call 911, is the wait time to get emergency help, is it longer or shorter? In almost every place in America, you wait a lot longer. You may actually wait for hours you will certainly wait for a lot more than before. And what's the response time? You're paying for those police services as well. And yet, is response time up or down in the last three years? In almost every American city, you wait a whole lot longer. In many cases, you wait long enough that uh, bad things happen. People die. And then consider schools. Are your school taxes any lower today than they were three years ago? Are your kids or the kids in your community learning better than they were three years ago? Or are they learning less than they were three years ago? So at every single level, governments, not just Joe Biden's federal government, are charging more, delivering less. And Joe Biden has the temerity to complain about soda pop and potato chips? you got to kid me. Come on, man. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show, the Radio Northwest Network 2. If you're... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He has small town politics with big town opinions. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body well right. You know he got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. So America's failure of a transportation secretary comes to see one of the biggest choke points on Interstate 5 between Canada and Mexico. We call it the Interstate Bridge over the Columbia River. Now, Pete Buttigieg has presided over one transportation train wreck after another. The East Palestine rail disaster, a nationwide supply chain crisis that's still going on today, years later. And lately, a couple of dozen near-miss collisions of airliners and parts literally falling off other ones. Other than open borders Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, is the biggest goof-off in senile Joe Biden's presidential cabinet. But Pete controls some federal cash. So he's coming to see the I-5 bridge today. And the Northwest's all-Democrat leadership team is slobbering over the opportunity to score some federal cash. I certainly don't expect that Tina Kotek and Jay Inslee are going to tell him the truth. That the new bridge replacement costs have ballooned from 7 to 9 nine billion dollars in just a couple of years and that's when construction hasn't even begun yet if it ever does the coast guard says it is 60 feet too short to meet their requirements so expect a coast guard veto light rail adds a couple of billion to the inflated price voters hate it and the ridership well it's dropping faster than joe biden's approval ratings i'm sure that if buddha judge thinks he can buy some votes with your billions for a boondoggle bridge he's good to go now, question of the day. This one came in from Rochelle, and it's a good one. Uh, about Sunday's shooting at that church near Houston, the Lakewood Church, involving a transgender person shot to death by good guys with guns at the church. Well, like so many of America's mass shooting events, this one involved a transgender person involved. So, uh, Rochelle wrote in, Lars, as a person transitioning myself, I've met others in the same boat. Most of us wish we didn't have the never-ending urge or need to transition into the opposite sex. Most of us try to live normal lives, and unlike the attention-seeking and provocative drag queens, a successful transition is to be able to blend into society without scrutiny. The best compliment a transgender to, can get is not to be noticed. Thank you, Rochelle. Rochelle, thanks very much for that. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. By the way, I'm trying to make awards of the Daily Grill to Joe Biden. I'm trying to be sparing about this because I have a feeling between now and November, probably now in January, when Joe walks out of office and hands over the White House to Donald Trump, that Joe Biden is going to afford lots of opportunities to give him the Daily Grill. But I've got to give it to him today, to Joe Biden and the D's, for complaining about so-called shrinkflation in the private sector, where at least customers can choose to buy a product or not, depending on whether or not they think it's a good deal. But he's ignoring even worse shrinkflation that's occurring in government at just about every single level. At the federal level, we pay more and they borrow more on our behalf and we get less in the way of service. At the local level, well, there are cities all over America right now that are stealing the taxpayers' money, handing it over to the illegal aliens that Joe Biden allowed in, and then telling their citizens, I'm sorry, you're going to have less. I mean, Denver literally is telling people less police service, less fire service, 
less a prompt 911 service, less attention at the DMV. Also, they can divert resources to a group of people that Joe Biden thinks are going to push him across the finish line uh, in November. This doesn't make any sense. And for Joe Biden to be complaining about potato chips, at least you and I can decide I either want to buy that bag of potato chips or I don't. I either think the price is a good one or not. When it comes to taxation, it's taken at the point of a gun and the product and the service that you're supposed to get. If you don't get it, you still have to pay. If a private business did that, they'd throw the owners in jail. And frankly, that's where China Joe Biden belongs as well. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Bradley Summerall writes in, Lars, I listen to your show every day. I'm a 61-year-old guy who was in the Marines. Thanks for your service. Conquered drug addiction and four stints in prison. Today, I'm a heavy equipment operator, love my country, and love my God. We know that about 20,000 Chinese male immigrants have crossed the border. But where do they go? In watching world and local news, I never see them in the shelters or standing in line for help. Is China planning an inside terrorist attack on us? That's what I'm thinking. Have a great rest of your week. Signed, Bradley. Well, Bradley, i got to tell you something. Uh, you're thinking on the same lines as I am and as are the folks at the FBI. The FBI has already warned America that Joe Biden's massive invasion is presenting a national security threat to the country. And if you say, well, that's just you saying that, Lars, that's fine. It's just my opinion, but it's also apparently the opinion of some of the people like the FBI who say this is a national security problem for the entire country. Consider that, and then consider Joe Biden's complaints about potato chips. The poll on X today, should some American cities set the minimum wage at $50 an hour as some Democrats propose? Now, this came up in the debate that went on between Democrat candidates, oh, sorry, Democrats and Republicans who debated this week. Uh, each one of these candidates is seeking the U.S. Senate seat from California, and Barbara Lee is one of them. And she was asked about her support for a $50 minimum wage. To do the math for you, $50 an hour at full time but with no overtime is over $100,000 a year in pay. Now, can you imagine any grocery store, any fast food outlet, can you imagine any small business operating if it had to pay its lowest paid employees at $100,000 a year? I mean, why not make it $100 an hour or, or $200 an hour? Then we can all be millionaires. Of course, nobody's going to have a job at that point. And one of the things people seem to ignore, including Barbara Lee, member of Congress who claims to have had a small business at one time, is this. Two things are going to happen. If you raise minimum wages dramatically, not only are the people at the bottom of the wage scale at your business going to go up to that new minimum of 100000 but everybody else who's been there for a while or has the skills and talents to command more than minimum wage, they're all going to say, well, if the busboy is making 100000 a year, how much do you have to pay the cook to keep him or her from walking out the door? You know, it's going to be a lot. Number two, there are an awful lot of jobs that are minimum wage jobs that can easily be automated. Usually, businesses hold back from automation. Number one, most employers I've ever met, and that would include me as well, we value our employees. We love our employees. We don't want to get rid of them. We don't want to turn their job over to a machine. But you tell me, how many of the fast food outlets out there are going to automate very, very quickly if you tell them that everybody who works in your business will make a minimum of $100,000 a year at full time, and some of them will have to be paid substantially above that? 
Uh, if you pay the $100,000 to the young man or woman at the front counter in a fast food place, how much are you going to have to pay the crew boss or the regional manager? Because all of those costs are going to go up. And how very quickly are they going to automate those operations and say, we have machines that will make hamburgers. We have machines that will make lattes. We have machines that will do all those jobs. And you'll be making 50 bucks an hour at a job you no longer hold. Coming up in a moment, is the fentanyl crisis in Washington State getting better or worse? We're going to talk to Spokane's sheriff about that. Coming up next, and your phone calls and emails. You've got the Radio Northwest. The now. Lars Larson Show. the news so you don't have to back to the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show i never really imagined that i would live in a part of america where they would pass laws effectively legalizing hard drugs or that i'd see court decisions in the case of washington that effectively legalized hard drugs but i knew to a fair certainty what was going to happen if they did that crazy thing and what's what was expected what i would have expected is exactly what's happened Thousands of deaths in Washington state, thousands of deaths in the state of Oregon from fentanyl, among other opioids. And I thought we'd talk about that because the legislature is currently in session in Olympia and Spokane County Sheriff John Knowles is affected by that. Sheriff Knowles, good to have you back on the program. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for calling and, and, and inviting me to be on the show. I'm glad to do it. Is the fentanyl problem getting better or worse? Absolutely getting worse, uh, particularly here in Washington State and here in Spokane County. So is the are the bills that the Democrats have been willing to sign off on, and this has been on party lines, uh, where they make it into a, a low-grade misdemeanor, are they going to be enough to change the picture? You know, I don't, with, with just it being a misdemeanor crime and then no meaningful consequences for violating the law to kind of come in behind, you know, that that level of crime, the answer is no. I think it's well-intentioned that they don't want to put felonies on people who are drug users. Uh, the problem that we have now is there's really no consequence for being convicted of a gross misdemeanor in the state of Washington. And uh, I, I think we need to be serious about if we want people to receive treatment for this drug addiction issue, we have to kind of, you know, using the whole carrot and stick principle, we have to have some consequences waiting on a conviction that moves them towards getting treatment instead of just, hey, I can take a two-day-in-jail plea and go back and start using again. And, and that's the problem we're seeing now. And, Sheriff, I've told my audience, but they have to take, I'm not law enforcement, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a cop, I'm not any of those things, uh, but I've told my audience that's not enough stick to go with the carrot of treatment and that it has worked in the past. So you've been, you've been in uh, law enforcement how long now? So this is my 26th year this week. Has so, it worked and, and in the past? And you're 100% right. <laughs> Has it worked in the past? Oh, you're 100% right. Yeah. When you go to somebody and say, look, we're arresting you for DCS, well, for PCS, possession of a controlled substance, uh, and the judge says to the defendant at some point, uh, or his lawyer says, you're looking at a felony conviction, you may get some time in jail or in prison, and you'll have a felony on your record for probably the rest of your life. Um, or you can go into treatment. Has that worked as a way to get people into treatment? 
absolutely does work a majority of the time. Of course, there's going to be certain people that don't that don't care, and we have places for people like that. They choose to you know be incarcerated, and that's fine. Um, but but it absolutely does work. Forced treatment is what that ends up looking like. It does work. It's successful. We've proven it over time over time. But the problem is, is we have this liberal idea that we have to have empathy for these people caught up in these cycles of addiction and mental health issues, and it cripples us to, that we don't have to expect people to change behavior, and, and that's where the problem is. We can be empathetic to people but still hold them accountable to change. That, that's what we're looking for. Well, isn't that what happens to the rest of us? I mean, Sheriff, last summer I went through Spokane a couple of times. I took my granddaughter up to, to Idaho to Silverwood to the theme park. We took her to Lake Coeur d'Alene, and, and she loves staying at the Davenport in downtown Spokane because uh, she just thinks it's the greatest hotel in the world, she's told me. But if I come blowing through Spokane County at 90 miles an hour, you're going to correct my behavior, aren't you, if, if one of your deputies sees me? Right, because we actually hold ourselves accountable to the law and the social norms. But, but we're dealing with people who don't hold themselves accountable to them and no one's making them. So th that's where the, the big rub comes for those of us who are law-abiding citizens when we don't hold people accountable who choose not to abide by the law. The whole system breaks down. Because that's where that's where social disorder comes in, and we have a, a party in this country and in this state right now that are fine with this disorder, with with no accountability, and it's it's causing real problems in our communities. Well, their idea of beautiful city. <laughs> sorry, sheriff. Uh, the, the, their idea of a, of compassion is to say we don't want to give this drug addict uh, a, a a reason to go into treatment. We would rather they be able to go back and keep using till they happen to hit that magic magic fentanyl dose that kills them. That's compassion from the D point of view. Well, right, and I agree that that is that point of view. And there's also this belief that it's society that's causing them to use, and that if we keep removing all of these consequences that society might put on them, that they're all of a sudden going to stop behaving that way. And and we all know that's not how human behavior works. We we know what motivates each of us, um, and it's success comes from working within the system to to improve yourself to better yourself to not you know uh, exhibit antisocial behavior but but the the liberal agenda seems to think that it's us that's causing these people to behave this way and if we stop holding them accountable they're somehow going to miraculously start behaving and it just it's not how it works <laughs> hey sheriff i want to ask you about another piece of legislation that could put you in trouble and it's house bill 2027 would you mind telling the audience what uh, what this would do to people in law enforcement so essentially, House Bill 2027, the way it's uh, written right now, is it, it is billed and titled as requiring background checks for sheriffs and police chiefs, uh, which most people in the state aren't aware that all police officers have to have a thorough background check. But to run for a political office, like as an elected sheriff right now, you don't have to pass a background before you're elected. What they're, the legislation they're trying to enact would say before anybody can have their name put on the ballot, they have to go through a background check performed by the Criminal Justice Training Commission and essentially be vetted by the Criminal Justice Training Commission um, before they can get on the ballot. And then if someone is a sitting sheriff or is elected as a sheriff and the Criminal Justice Training Commission deems them unfit, 
the Criminal Justice Training Commission can decertify them and gives the CEO of the county the authority to remove the elected sheriff and appoint the replacement, which is blatantly unconstitutional and violates the separation of powers and really takes the voters' voice away where elected law enforcement is concerned. Well, I, I want to ask you, is this going too far that HB 2027 would say, Sheriff Knowles, you've associated with groups that the, the Training Commission considers to be extremists. Uh, and maybe they're, they're uh, MAGA groups. Maybe they're Make America Great. Maybe it's, uh, you know, it's Joey Gibson. It's Patriot Prayer. And because of your association with these people, we are judging that you are unfit to be sheriff. And they could, even right after the voters put you in, they could bounce you right out of the office based on what they think of the people you associate with. Am I taking that one too far? No, that it gives them absolutely that authority to do it. There are no specified groups that are considered extremist groups or any level of definition of what association with an extremist group would be. I could make a Facebook post that they didn't like, and members of the Criminal Justice Training Commission Committee, which, by the way, are appointed and they are fully, uh, they, there's a handful, maybe two or three law enforcement officials, but mostly activists who are on those uh, criminal justice boards, and uh, they can just decide they don't like what this sheriff does and, and fire him or her. And they could do that, I mean, they, let me throw an example out. They could say, Sheriff Knowles, you posted in favor of a pro-life group, you know, that opposes abortion. We don't like that association. We don't think you're fit. They could end your sheriff's career right there and, and renege on what the voters had chosen. The voters choose you. They say, we are unchoosing you because you're associated with a pro-life group. Yes, they could absolutely do it, and I'm going to make it even easier. Uh, hey, uh, Sheriff, you've posted an endorsement for uh, for President Trump, and he's clearly somebody who supports insurrection. We are going to invalidate your election and have someone else appointed. Unbelievable. That is Sheriff John Knowles from Spokane County. Sheriff, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Back in just a moment, it's a Tuesday, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest for the last quarter century. Hey, let me with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Do you realize you can literally have Lars with you all day, every day? Podcasts at Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and live right now. What a tip.
time to be alive. Here's Lars. Let me tell you about Sleepy Joe. He is senile and he needs to go. The 25th Amendment they should invoke. Biden in the White House is a total joke. That's why I know. Yeah, I know. Time to say goodbye to Sleepy Joe. Joe's incoherent and he is so dense. Clueless and he makes no sense. He thinks the dead are still alive. Time to invoke 25. His approval, it keeps going down. Welcome back to the Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday, live on the Radio Northwest Network. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And in the great state of California, you've got a major candidate, a member of Congress right now, Barbara Lee, who wants to be the next U.S. Senator from California. She was asked about her support for a $50 minimum wage. Think $100,000 at full time. $100,000 a year, 50 bucks an hour, and she says she's completely for it. She says, why, you can't live in San Francisco on less than $127,000 for a family of four, so we've got to set minimum wages at 50 bucks an hour. Should major American cities set the minimum wage at $50 an hour? I would imagine that even the Democrats are not crazy enough to propose that minimum wage outside the cities in rural areas because you would devastate those parts of America. I think it's crazy enough, but there you go. Should American cities set the minimum wage at 50? I'd say no to that. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind today? Well, actually, two things. One thing is I'd like to see about having a bill that gets signed that basically says one bill at a time, not the Ukraine and uh, the border and all Israel this other stuff. Just one and thing Taiwan at a time. and every other problem in the world lumped into one. I agree with you. But you know the problem with if we don't put it in the Constitution, Jerry, uh, if you pass a law that Congress doesn't like, they just undo the law. Or they ignore the law. And so I'm not sure that just having a law that requires, you know, uh, single subject bills would work. I'm, I'm for it. Don't get me wrong. I, I would like to see them go by what they call regular order. Uh, regular order for the budget is 13 separate budget packages. You know, so you'd have one for the Pentagon and one for health and human services and one for the energy department. And it'd all be an up or down vote. And the government would go on and operate, but maybe the Congress would say, we think the education department is a giant waste of time, which it is, uh, and we're not going to approve its budget. I'd love to see it. The Democrats won't let it happen, and sadly, too many Republicans uh, go along with it as well. 
And and as far as special bills like this, you know, this bill that the Senate just cooked up, I think it ended up at $89 billion. It was originally $118 billion, but it's a massive amount of money. And it's money for Ukraine, uh, coupled with money for Taiwan, coupled with money for Israel. They took the border piece of it out. But it's it's crazy because they do this only because they know each one of those funding packages will not get a majority. Well, Jerry, what should happen to any bill that can't get a majority of the people's representatives to vote for it? It should die, shouldn't it? Yes, that's what seems to happen. Okay, that's one thing. What was the other thing? And the other thing is, is before something's passed, because we don't really have a say in it, uh, that we, the, the American people should be able to see before they pass anything what the actual thing they're trying to pass is so we can actually vote. Now, would you actually want a nationwide vote on all those issues, or just uh, the public gets a chance to read what's in it? Well, it kind of like a little bit of both. I mean, they pass stuff all the time, like the study of how frogs live or something <laughs> like that. Like, I don't really care. No, I, Why should my money go to that? I, I don't want to see, because what you're talking about is direct democracy. Uh, which would be running the whole country, and it's a giant country with almost 350 million people in it. And I don't think you can run that like a small town in Vermont, where they could have the city, you know, have a vote on everything all the time, because we'd be new, doing nothing but voting all the time. And and it would be, and, and I'm not necessarily sure that, I mean, the reason representative government works so well is because it's not direct democracy. You know, when you have direct democracy, you know, things sort of uh, change with the season. So something's popular for a while, and then it's not. And then something else is popular. And direct democracies respond to that, not always in a good way. Whereas representative forms of government are, you elect representatives, they go back, and then they make those decisions. And if they make bad decisions, then you vote them out, in theory, at the next election. I realize the flaws in that as well. But it's a better system than every other system on Earth. I wouldn't go to a national plebiscite on, on, on small issues like budget issues, but I would like to have our representatives held accountable, and that's what they're afraid of. The reason they lump these bills together is the one who says, I didn't really want to vote for Ukraine, but I wanted money for Israel and Taiwan, or I really didn't want to vote money for Israel, but I did want it for Taiwan and Ukraine. In other words, they can come back and tell the voters anything they want and say, I voted for the good part of the bill, but not for the bad part of the bill. The you got Lars, 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 show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize. 
Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday and live on the Radio Northwest Network that covers the whole Pacific Northwest, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. And we talk about regional issues. So I got to tell you something, though. I've shared with you before. I've been a registered Republican uh, for most of my adult life. And just like Reagan, I also was a Democrat at one point, but it was a, it was a bad experiment, didn't go well, and I decided I didn't like it at all. Uh, but So I'm not going to be one of those people who said, I've been a registered Republican from the beginning. Might be nice to say that. I'll put myself in Reagan's camp. Tried it out, didn't work, uh, wasn't a good idea. Um, so it's a real pleasure to welcome to the program Regina Jackson, who's currently the chair of the Klamath County Republicans. I once lived in Klamath Falls and in Klamath County. It's a nice place. Um, but aspires to be Oregon's Republican National Committee woman. Ms. Jackson, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Lars. What an amazing opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, why do you want to be the National Committee woman, and what would you do to help rehabilitate the Republican Party, which I think leaves a lot to be desired right now? Yes, and I agree, and that's really where this stems from. So my background is not in politics. I've just been invo involved in the local Klamath County Republican Party for the past four years. So my experience is in business. I worked for Target, I worked for J.C. Penney's, and I worked for the Kohler Company, all, all showroom managers and store managers uh, during my time there. So I looked at it as the person that's uh, currently in the position, I looked at it as we hired somebody to do a job, they're not doing that job properly, and as a manager, what would you do? You would issue corrective action or you would have them replaced. So that's how I'm looking at it. Nothing personal. I just know that I can do a better job. I have the experience, not political experience, but business experience. And I have a degree in communications from Pepperdine. So I know that uh, I will be able to bridge and be that liaison that the Oregon Republican Party needs with the RNC. Okay, because one of the concerns I've got is right now, I mean, as we're standing here right now, we're seeing Republicans nationwide doing things that are really terrible. I mean, the Senate just came up with an awful bill, um, you know, this, this bill that they're going to try and voice in the House that appears to be dead on arrival. And, and well, it should be, but it's dead on arrival. And, and a lot of us sit here at a distance, 3,000 miles away, and say, what is the party thinking? What are the members of the party who are in the House and the Senate what are they thinking when they come up with a border bill that was a colossal disaster and anybody in your communications degree, you, you would have looked at this and said, we don't even have to focus group this one. This one is dead before it even shows up. And yet the Senate passes it. You know, Republicans in the Senate agree to get on board it and they send it to the House knowing it's going to die. This seems like giant time wasting maneuvers and they're not standing up for the kinds of standards and values that Republicans and conservatives believe in. Right. And isn't that furious as, you know, having a background in business that you're not able to? And that's why we have to look at it as, you know, if they're not doing their job, they need to be removed. You know, uh, elections and votes have consequences and they need to be held to account. And so in this position, that's basically what I'm doing is, is you know, there needs to be a better option. So in particular with that, uh, that border bill, you know, as the daughter of an immigrant, a legal immigrant, it's infuriating. You know, there is a way, there is a path to citizenship here 
here that is well thought out, um, and, you know, takes time and effort and money and needs to be uh, applied and, and followed. And, and that's not happening. It's a free-for-all. And, uh, you know, and, and, for, uh, represent, and, and for Republican representatives to, to stand behind a bill like that, they need to be held to account and they need to be replaced. Well, and their communication seems to be terrible. And I don't know how much you could do about that as the representative from Oregon on the Republican National Committee. But when James Langford from Missouri, who wrote that bill, and for weeks I remember him saying, you know, making these public pronouncements, don't believe what's on social media about it. You're, you're going to love it when it finally arrives. And it finally arrived, and it was all the bad things we thought it was going to be. Legalizing the illegal entry of 5,000 people a day, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff in it. And you thought, this was written by Republicans? I don't know how much the, the, the RNC can do. But if the party were to communicate, look, if you're going to stand up with that kind of garbage, you're not going to get much help from us. And, and it is. And if you can see, I mean, look at the donations to the RNC where we're standing right now. People are fed up. Yep. And that, and, and that exacerba has been exacerbated by the 2020 election. And people are starting to pay attention. If you are a typical Republican, you do your civic duty every two to four years and, and don't really pay attention to the rest of it. But now people are paying attention, especially after 2020. Everything from local government. What are my commissioners doing? What is my governor doing? What are the people that we're sending to D.C., are they doing what they're doing? What is their voting record? So that's why you're starting to see a lot of people turn to institutions like Turning Point. By the way, I'm the only candidate that is endorsed by Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk. And so, you know, they're turning that's to different organizations because they are fed up with the establishment. And so that's why I'm running is to represent grassroots rural. You said you lived in Klamath Falls. It's a beautiful community. I love this county. And, and I'm representing them because we're tired of being walked all over. So, for example, and this is kind of a side note, look at the Idaho initiative to move to Idaho. Yep. That was a last straw for people. Hey, we are fed up with being ignored. We're willing to leave. So I think we need to take a look at that. And, and the RNC, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that Rana is going to be stepping down. I think that's a, so an intelligent move and, and, and should have been done years ago. But it is time for real leadership that is leading as a public service, uh, is not a, a vanity project for somebody who is not in grassroots. Rana is not grassroots. I am grassroots. And when I go there and when I'm at the RNC, I will ensure that rural Oregon is represented as well as the rest of the state. I can be that liaison that will impact. But I, yeah, it's going to take a lot of Because what we've got, we, we've got a governor and a legislature that think that as long as they keep Eugene, Springfield, Portland, and Salem happy, that the rest of the right. state can go to blazes. And, and they should yeah. never be allowed to think that. And yet they get away with it. It's unbelievable. What I say is Oregon is not a liberal state. We're a conservative state with three to four blue warts on our face that cause all the problems. But if you look at the voting record, if you look at, you know, Christine Drazen in the gubernatorial race only lost by 66,000 votes. Yep. And do you know why? 120,000 Republicans stayed home. They didn't turn in their ballots. She could have been our governor right now. Yep, she could have been. Every time I've looked back over ballot measures, let's see. Driver's license for illegals, solid no. Uh, gay marriage, solid no. I mean, you go right down the list and you say, but those are all conservative victories. Yes. So how do you end up with knuckleheads like Merkley and Wyden and, and, right. and corrupt individuals like Tina Kotek? Well, you know, I think it's vote by mail, and I think we ought to get rid of vote by mail. But if oh, people want to support your, because we're going to hit a break here pretty soon, sure. uh, Ms. Jackson, how do people support you in your run for Republican National Committee woman? 
Well, they can go to my website. It's reginajackson.com. Oh, and I also have a Facebook page, Regina Jackson for National Committee Woman. And at this stage, we have our election March 16th, and so uh, they can support, show their support, um, you know, and, and encourage those that are our delegates to vote for me. And, uh, and I know that we can turn this around, and I'm the best candidate. Ms. Jackson, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Well, thank you, Lars. You have a great day. And you as well. That's Regina. It's spelled R-E-J-E-A-N-A. -E -A -A. Regina Jackson, who's campaigning to be Oregon's Republican National Committee woman. If you've ever been frustrated by the Republican Party, like I have been, uh, this might be just an opportunity to change. Coming up in a moment, the Ukraine bill and the poison pill inside it that would actually threaten the next president with impeachment if they don't keep the money going to Joe Biden's buddies in Ukraine. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He's up before you are, weeding out the right from the wrong. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want you to think about this for a moment because producer Joel and I were just talking about this. There may not be another time. I can't remember another time. Neither one of us could. When the United States Congress has passed a bill, in this case it's passed through the Senate, to provide aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Now, it's probably doomed when it gets to the House of Representatives, but that aside, we can't remember a single time where they've actually put a poison pill inside the bill that says if we pass this for all this massive funding, at this point, $95 billion, that uh, if a future president, not the president who's president right now, but Donald Trump in January, if he decides that he's going to push back against that funding, even though he's the new president, and we will also have new members of both the House and the Senate, that they're not allowed to undo it. And this is one of those things that I don't think should ever happen. Uh, number one, when we're voting on aid to foreign countries, if we vote on aid to foreign countries at all, it ought to be a discreet up or down vote on Ukraine, on Israel, on Taiwan, and there should be a straight up or down vote on the southern border of the United States. And now we're seeing more people entering illegally from Canada. So on the northern border as well, although the northern northern border problem pales by comparison to what is going on on our southern border. But literally, they put a poison pill inside this, and I'll describe how they're trying to make that happen. 
because as long as I've been a reporter, I've had politicians tell me, well, we can fund it in this Congress, but we, or we can fund it in this legislature at the state level, but there's no guarantee that the next legislature will continue the funding for this program, nor is there a guarantee that the next president or the next governor, in, in whether it's federal or state, uh, is going to go along with this. There's no, there's almost no way, thank God, that any legislature or any Congress can say we're going to take on an obligation, we're going to agree to pay a lot of money, not just during this year and next year, but we're going to extend that promise into the future, and we're going to find a way to punish any American president, or in the case of state level, any governor who decides to work against it. But the Senate has passed the bill. It's a $95 billion foreign aid bill. It provides money for Ukraine, for Israel, for Taiwan, and they did all this. They voted 70 to 29. They did it early today. 22 Republican senators supported it, and that's despite the fact that candidate uh, President, jo uh, uh, President Donald Trump had urged these people to say, say no to this. Do not approve this kind of nonsense. There wasn't one penny that was paid for by having offsetting cuts in our almost $6 trillion national budget. Now, those are so-called pay-fors on Capitol Hill. They call it a pay-for. So if you walk in and say, I'd like $50 million for this program, they say, okay, find $50 million worth of stuff in the budget that you can convince your fellow senators and fellow reps that they're willing to cut out of the budget to pay for this additional spending. They didn't even try to find money to offset this additional foreign aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Now, there's something deeply wrong with that, especially when Republicans decide to stand up and support it. Listen, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our poll on X. That has to do with this cockamamie idea from the Democrats that want a $50 minimum wage. Now, that's California. And it's Barbara Lee, for the most part, member of Congress and Democrat from California, who's running for the Senate. But she's actually standing up behind the idea of a $50 minimum wage, uh, probably applicable to big cities, not applicable elsewhere. She also says the federal minimum wage ought to be increased. Both of those are dumb ideas in my book. But if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line. So... Go back to this business about what has the Senate done. I mean, we just watched last week as the Senate passed a bill on our southern border, and it was a crazy bill. It basically gave the Democrats everything they wanted. They wanted to have 5,000 people a day come across the border illegally and be welcomed into America. The bill gave them that. I mean, it was the kind of thing that you think, if you just read it without knowing who actually put it together, it was put together by Republicans like James Langford in the Senate. And you say, why would you write all this crazy stuff down like it came from the Democrats? And so, of course, it was dead on arrival in the House. And now we've got a foreign aid bill for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan that also appears to be dead on arrival. In fact, the uh, House Speaker, Mike Johnson, has already said this thing may not even be put on the floor of the House to have a debate or to have a vote on it because he thinks there's a real problem there. And part of it is, 
We're providing for the security of Israel and the security of Taiwan and the security of Ukraine on their borders and not providing anything to change the situation on America's borders. Now, if that makes sense to you, I, I know there are going to be people saying the Republicans are just being obstructions. No, the Republicans are standing up for something sensible. Protect our own borders first. Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan come second if they come at all. So, glad to get your calls. 866-439-5277. Larry's on the line. Hey, Larry, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, Larry, thanks. Uh, why is the the spending originated in the Senate? I thought the Constitution said they had to originate in, in the House. Uh, taxes in the, in the House. Just? That's, listen, don't call me a constitutional expert like Barack Hussein Obama, uh, but I believe that you're thinking of taxes, uh, not spending. Spending bill, so they can originate the bill, then the House would have to pass it, then they'd have to work out any differences if they made changes to the bill in either House, and then, and then, but are, you can't, are you in favor of this? Well, uh, Evans, no. <laughs> you can no, say that. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm amazed at things going on, and you know, the, the McConnell is is just reprehensible. I guess he is. And and by the way, to put this in personal terms, Larry, since there is no money in the federal budget, since this budget of six trillion for the federal government is two trillion more than they're going to take in, so you've got. Four trillion coming in, six trillion going out. Imagine your household budget being that screwed up. Do you know by taking this extra ninety-five billion dollars, it's more than a thousand dollars in new debt for every single household in America, every single one. Yeah, I think the old Republican Party is dying, and I think the the senators that keep electing Mitch McConnell are Democrats. They gotta be. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. By the way, there is a clause in this bill, and I promise to tell you about that. Here's what would happen. There is a memo that shows that in the bill, the billions of dollars going to Ukraine, where Joe Biden and the Biden crime family have made so much money, uh, Donald Trump has said when he gets in January of next year, that he's going to end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours. And actually, there are some other foreign heads of state who said he could probably get it done. But that would end funding for that. And if they pass the bill as it stands, it would threaten to impeach Donald Trump if he gets in the way of the money flow to Ukraine. What does that tell you about how our so-called representatives are doing business? You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Whenever you want it, get the podcasts all day, every day at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Have you noticed that there have been attacks on police for the last several years that have ramped up from what I guess we could consider a normal level to something that's very abnormal. Of course, I guess it, it depends on what you use as your benchmark for normal. But in the last year, 
I mean, it's last year. 32 law enforcement officers have been shot out so far this year. Attacks on New York police officers caught on video. We talked about the four illegal aliens who beat two police officers down to the pavement. Um, those four were arrested fairly promptly, uh, booked into custody, and then just about as promptly released from custody, whereupon they hopped on a bus and headed for California, we're told. I thought we'd talk about it with Lance LaRusso, who's founder of the Blue Line Lawyer Institute, former cop and the author of the books When Cops Kill and Blue News. Lance, welcome back. Thanks for having me. How much worse has the problem of attacks on law enforcement become in the last couple of years? In the past several years, it's increased not only in the number, which is what a lot of people, you know, counting those numbers have noticed an increase, but the intensity has gotten worse. So you look at the attacks on the two NYPD officers that you mentioned, you have people not shoving an officer, not even punching them, but while an officer is down and their back is exposed, kicking them in the head, kicking them in the neck, I mean, those are injuries, that, those are assaults that could lead to life-threatening, life-altering injuries. And the acuity of these has gone up. In 2018, we saw a multiple-fold increase in the number of vehicular assaults. So somebody using a vehicle as a weapon. In the prior year before, it was about two. And then in one year, it jumped to nine. So it's not just the number of assaults. It's the degree of the assault to the um, extent that it's capability of causing serious injury. In fact, one that comes to mind, and in fact, we haven't run the soundbite from it, but there's a sheriff down in Florida, and I'm trying to remember the name of the county, but he had a deputy who went on a stop, and uh, I think it was a young lady, and she hops out of her car. It's an urgent situation, and uh, and the suspect jumps in the car, I believe it's a woman, and takes the police patrol car and speeds off with it, ends, ends up ending her life, but ending the lives of two other individuals as well. So it's a problem uh, in that the violence aimed at officers or violations of law aimed at officers can end up taking civilian lives as well. Is there anything that you think explains why this is happening and why now? I mean, I think it's a lack of accountability. You know, when you look at the people who commit crimes, people who commit violent crimes in any given society, and I don't mean society as a whole, just take a microcosm in a specific city, a specific state, you find over and over again repeat violent offenders being let out of prison are responsible for, or being out on bond, are responsible for a great deal of violent crime. So the notion that we're going to eliminate cash bail instead of doing bail reform because people believe that in some situations it was disadvantaging people, going the other way and saying no matter what crime you commit, we're going to let you out without any bail whatsoever, has failed. And it is making the streets far more dangerous, and you have criminals, and I don't mean individuals walking the street. I mean people who have proven themselves to be criminals because of their intentional action over time to commit multiple felonies, they will not stop until they are either removed from society or they get to a situation where they recognize they're out on bond if they committed another crime, then they're not going to be let out the next time they're arrested. Because the system is sending them the message, you can get away with this. That young lady that I mentioned who stole the deputy's patrol car and then ended up ending her life and the lives of two innocent people that she hit. I think it was a couple in their 70s who she plowed into with the patrol car. Um, but when the sheriff held up 
a giant computer printout. He said, look, this is her, her list of priors. And it included convictions, felony convictions, misdemeanor convictions, and everything else. Well, she's dead now. But, but in, in that case, you had somebody who seemed to have committed enough crimes, at least for lay people out here, to say, well, why wasn't she locked up for good? And you gave the answer. It's both state lawmakers and the people running the uh, system, meaning the jails, the sheriffs to some extent, the police chiefs, the courts, etc., that are just turning these people loose time and again. And then the other problem you have is as people who are younger are growing up and watching this, they're essentially learning that there is no consequence for crime. You know, you see these massive shoplifting and retail theft rings. When you don't prosecute the individuals, not only who are stealing, but also the people who are organizing it, you are sending a message that there is no consequence for crime. And if people realize there's no consequence for crime and they are bent on committing crimes, they will keep committing more of it. And when law enforcement attempts to take them into custody, they will lash out violently. That's what we're seeing. I'm talking to Lance LaRusso, who's written two books, When Cops Kill in Blue News. The proceeds from those books go to police charities. He's also the founder of the Blue Line Lawyer Institute. And yet, are you seeing any sign, Lance, that state lawmakers or Congress is seeing these things happen as a result of easing up on criminals and no cash bail and all those other policies? Are any of them seeing it and saying, well, we have to change this and then actually doing it? Because I, I don't see much action at all. Well, the difference you brought up, the dichotomy is seeing it and even saying something's wrong and then doing something to fix it is is the divide. We have some people that are raising cane and saying, hey, this has got to stop. It's not sustainable. And a lot of times we're seeing the financial impact. You're seeing uh, big box stores, even, you know, pharmacies moving out of communities. Well, I don't know where people go to get their, their prescriptions. But typically what you have, instead of using those horrible words, I was wrong, if we talk about this in blue news, you have to tell your own story instead of, saying we were wrong, our policy has failed, our no-cash bail has failed because people who assaulted two officers in New York City are now on the lam, we're going to blame some other societal event. We're going to blame the way the officers handled the situation, or we're going to blame the officers didn't properly de-escalate the situation. Because instead of saying, you know, uh, there are some pretty bad people out here and we probably need to remove them from the street, and the police were right, some people would rather choke themselves to actually admit that. So they're going to do that, and then at the same time, they're going to tell individual officers, by the way, all these other mechanisms you have for controlling people or trying to bring them into control, put them in a car, put them in handcuffs, et cetera, are being taken away from the officers, right? Yeah, and it's really interesting. People talk about the uh, the taser and pepper spray and these other methods. They were developed by law enforcement over the past 40 and 50 years to try to find some sort of bridge between actually putting your hands on someone to arrest them and using deadly force. And what we've seen is people who have no idea of what it's like to arrest someone, no idea of what it's like to try to convince someone to comply when they're high on drugs or they're drunk or both, or they're going through some sort of a mental health crisis where they, the officers have been called because the person's violent or they're injuring someone that these are not easy situations, and we keep calling law enforcement officers sometimes to deal with situations that are not only impossible, they're unwinnable. And what do you do at that point? Because I, I told my audience last week about a man 
who finally got so frustrated uh, at the inaction when his daughter had been sexually assaulted that he went out and killed the guy. And and then he stuck around and told uh, told law enforcement, yep, I shot him. And I said, I hope that guy stands in front of a jury. And I hope the jury has to consider, what do you do with somebody? And you say, well, that's vigilantism. That's taking the law into your own hands. And I made the case that, well, if the police have had their hands tied and the courts won't lock people up and the system won't indict, won't prosecute, won't confine, uh, what's, what, what are you leaving the citizens with as an alternative? And if you say, well, it should be a last resort, sounds like we may have arrived at last resort. That is Lance LaRusso from the Blue Line Lawyer Institute. Uh, Lance, it's a pleasure as always. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. To all the wokey snowflakes, yes, you are probably going to be offended. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on this Tuesday and live on the Radio Northwest Network, which at least endeavors to serve the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. If you want to jump into the conversation, you're certainly welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our poll on X today should some American cities set a minimum wage of $50 an hour, as some Democrats are proposing, in particular Barbara Lee, member of Congress, who wants to be a U.S. senator from California, has proposed that the only way that people can meet the minimum needs to be able to live in some of California's cities, she says, is a $50 minimum wage, which would contemplate paying somebody with minimum wage skills $100,000 and then some every single year. If that makes sense to you, uh, God bless you in your confusion. But I'd love to talk to you as a naysayer. Should some American cities set the minimum wage at 50 bucks an hour, as some Democrats have proposed, I would say no to it. You can vote any way you like. Today's X poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, what we were just talking about, or I was just talking about with Lance LaRusso, apparently 
even threats to the lives of the law-abiding does not get you locked up for very long, at least in the states of Oregon and Washington. Now, I want you to consider this. Imagine you're sitting at home. You know, you're in your house. The door is locked. It's the middle of the day. And all of a sudden, several people break in. I should say early Saturday evening. Several people break into your house, and you're caught unawares. And what happens is you discover, after the police have these people in custody, that uh, they had stolen a car, they ran from the police, they allegedly broke into a family home in Edmonds, and this happened over the weekend. So you're sitting at home, the front door comes crashing in, and three suspects enter your house. You run from your house, and thank God you're able to get away. This is exactly what happened to the person in Edmonds. Ran out of the house, ran out the front door, got to the police officers, and said, the suspects from your chase are inside my house. Now, you would think that in any kind of sensible system, that those three people, some of whom have uh, prior felony convictions, not charges, convictions, the male suspect in this case, Seven prior felony convictions, including stealing cars, burglary, theft, assault, and criminal mischief. And this is the person who's just crashed in through your front door and taken over your house. Well, thankfully, there was a standoff. The police were able to get the uh, two of them, at least, in custody. There were a total of three suspects, two women and one man. They ran from a stolen car. So another car theft to add to the list of other charges. Now, do you think that in today's system that those people were kept in custody? They were not. They were able to bail out. They, they were able to uh, simply, you know, get out of bail, all released without any bail at all after their arrests for this situation. Now, imagine how this could have gone differently. You break into somebody's family home. The person, instead of running out of the house, decides to confront the intruders and ends up hurt or dead. That's the kind of potential. And believe me, we do put potential into the law. If you rob a store and you do what's called a strong-armed robbery, meaning you don't use a weapon other than your physical strength, that's one charge. If you rob a store, uh, you know, if you confront somebody in a robbery and you have a weapon, a knife or a gun, that's armed robbery. We have a whole different set of penalties built into the law, not because you actually hurt somebody. If you hurt them, too, then that's another crime. But if you commit an unarmed robbery, it's one set of penalties. It's a much tougher set of penalties if you commit an armed robbery. And why? The one difference in those two crimes, one has the great greater potential for somebody to end up hurt or dead. The other one has less potential. There's still the potential in an unarmed robbery for somebody to end up suffering either serious wounds or damage or to end up dead. But the potential is much higher with the armed robbery. So even with all this going on, they cut them loose with no bail whatsoever. Now, that's the system that has been engineered. It's been engineered by the state legislature. It's been engineered by city councils county commissions, lawyers, judges, the entire system right now will take three people who broke into an occupied home, the homeowner was able to escape, and they simply release them with no cash bail at all. Now, if you think 
that's the way the system ought to operate, well then, you probably need a seat in the legislature. But if you think that's not the way the system should operate, here's what I'd like to know. Have you reached out to your Democrat representatives? Because it's not Republicans that are pushing this nonsense for the most part. There may be a few sellout rhinos who do it, but for the most part, these these policies of no cash bail, of let's not lock people up, of let's not prosecute people, these are policies pushed by liberal Democrats in Oregon and Washington. And the end result is people's lives are put at great risk, and then when somebody actually is accused of committing these serious crimes, they're simply released without bail, sending the message, it's all right, we'll let you get away with it again. Thanks for listening. 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host... My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday. Always glad to get you your calls. There is a multi-billion dollar boondoggle here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, we have great reason to believe that the thing is already dead on arrival, or at least a dead bridge walking. But instead, no, we're not being told that by the U.S. Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, who's already got $600 million of federal tax money in this boondoggle bridge. He says it's going to happen because the financing is already arranged. Only the financing is not arranged. I'm talking about the biggest single choke point that I know of. I don't know of one that's greater uh, between Canada and Mexico on Interstate 5. And it's the Interstate Bridge and the so-called IBR that's supposed to replace it. And the reporter that I respect the most in the coverage of this one subject is our friend John Lee, retired airline pilot, now a reporter uh, with Clark County Today. Uh, John, welcome back. Hey, Lars, you've been on fire today talking about Mayor Pete and the Interstate Bridge. You know, I would love it if he and President Biden talked about shrinkflation with regards to the value American taxpayers are not getting for their transportation projects. 
The $1.2 trillion IIJA that Biden signed into law has triggered unprecedented levels of inflation in the cost of transportation projects around the country. And as you noted, we have seen the price of the IBR almost triple in the last five years since the two governors signed it into law. So in other words, the very thing that was supposed to be the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Act has actually turned into the Inflation Inflator Act. But I, I want to start with this, though, John. If we can, I agree with you that, that we've pushed inflation up, but not nearly enough to explain, as you've explained, that the inflation of this project uh, in cost has gone up billions and billions and billions of dollars. I wanted to see if I could find the uh, the reference you made to it because you said, look, uh, it's gone up from what was the original estimate? $3.8 billion was the low end? So $3.2 billion to $4.8 billion was the range we were originally promised by the IBR shortly after Jay Inslee and Kate Brown signed their memorandum back in 2019. And the important thing to note is that both of those high and low figures included light rail. They thought they could deliver light rail for the lower end of that as well as the high end and it included inflation going forward in the project. And so we have now seen Greg Johnson and the IBR team absolutely explode the project. They've already admitted that the $7.5 billion price tag that is the current top end is not going to be enough, and we expect it to jump potentially up to $9 billion or more later this spring. So in, in what period of time has it gone from a 3-2 possible number to a 9 possible number, uh, a, a tripling of cost in how many years? Five years, my friend. Five years, and they triple the cost. So the cost has gone up 200% above what the original cost was as the likely finishing mark of $9 billion, and that's happened in just five years. And they haven't even turned over a shovel full of dirt, have they? No, they haven't. And at the end of the day, people want value for their money. And that ought to be the overriding question. Where's the value in this? They want to replace a three-lane over-congested bridge with another three-lane bridge that will be over-congested on the day it opens. What a ridiculous waste of money. And the easy example on this is 60 miles to the east of Portland. They're going to build a bridge at Hood River over the Columbia River for just $520 million. That's only 7% of the cost of the IBR, and that's the current price of the IBR. Of course, that one doesn't have light rail on it. Let me ask you about Pete Buttigieg is in the Northwest. He came yesterday. He's apparently seeing the bridge today. And the comment that got under my skin the most Buttigieg, U.S. Transportation Secretary, and basically a train wreck of one of Joe Biden's cabinet secretaries. He's presided over lots of disasters and not in a good way. He said because the funding is in place, it, meaning the interstate bridge replacement, is going to happen. Is any of that true? Well, <laughs> if you're a liberal progressive Democrat, of course it's true. But in reality, it's not. Because, number one, you're looking at potentially $2.5 billion from the federal government, and they've only allocated $600 million. So that leaves 
$1.9 billion left to be funded, number one. Number two, the state of Oregon has only allocated $250 million of their billion-dollar obligation with an IOU for the rest of Oregon's obligation. And Governor Tina Kotek has already said she hates that IOU and she wants the Oregon legislature to look at finding another revenue source for the rest of that $750 million from Oregon. And of course, the Oregon legislature just started, but there is no bills on the horizon that's gonna fund that $750 million. So the money is not there from either Oregon or the feds. And finally, the biggest aspect is there will be nothing built unless the United States Coast Guard gives their approval. And as you have talked about many times, my friend, the IBR wants to build a bridge too low, and the Coast Guard has said no, no, no. And yet they think they can waste hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars buying off the upriver firms that need the current clearance of the interstate bridge that's 60 feet taller than what the IBR is proposing. Well, but even if they, John, even if they buy off, as they plan to do with the last failed bridge project that wasted $200 million, um, even if they buy the companies off, the Coast Guard could still say it's too low for what the river traffic needs, couldn't they? Absolutely. And I hope the Coast Guard stands its ground. That is their job, first and foremost, is to protect maritime traffic. And so they have made it abundantly clear that the current proposal is not acceptable. And yet Greg Johnson and the IBR team, and frankly, the members in Congress and the two governors, ignore that reality. So I applaud the United States Coast Guard, and let's hope they stand firm in their demands for a bridge with adequate clearance for our maritime community. You know what's funny, John, is uh, like you, I'm a reporter, I'm a journalist, I put my opinion in too. But I look at every one of these stories from the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper, Therese Bottomley's, uh, you know, newspaper, Oregon Live. Um, and every time I see a story about this, I say, where are they going to mention the Coast Guard's veto, which the Coast Guard is not backed off of? And they don't mention it. And then you've got, you know, OPB or Channel 8 or any of the rest of these jokers that run Pete Buttigieg saying the funding is in place. It's going to happen. The bridge is going to happen. The funding is not in place. It's not even a third of the money committed so far of what the project may end up costing at $9 billion, and they don't mention that. They don't call Peter Pete Buttigieg out for being a liar. I will. Pete Buttigieg is lying about that bridge, and the rest of the media ought to cover that part of it as well. You've got the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. 
Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. of the people. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday here on the Radio Northwest Network. I've been neglecting calls for a while, so let's try some of those. First of all, we just finished talking about this boondoggle bridge. We've got the Transportation Secretary of the United States, Pete Buttigieg, who's screwed up just about everything he's even looked at, let alone touched. I mean, whether it's the airlines, the supply chain crisis, uh, strikes or threatened strikes of major transportation entities, airplanes with parts falling off, airplanes nearly colliding in the air. And now he's here in the Pacific Northwest. He's taken a look at the Interstate Bridge Project, and he said, the money is there. It's going to happen. And the money is not there. I mean, it's provably not there. There's $2.5 billion committed of a bridge whose minimum price is likely to be $7 billion and maximum price, which is usually where government goes, about $9 billion. There's in no way, shape, or form is the money arranged, and yet there's the transportation secretary saying, yep, it's all uh, the money's all set up and ready to go. The project is going to happen. Let's go to John. Hey, John, thanks for listening in Redmond on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yeah, thanks a lot for your show, Lars. I appreciate it. And I just, forgive my ignorance, but I don't understand what their impetus is to build the bridge in the obviously wrong way. It's not going to help Washington. It's not going to help Oregon. And it's going to, it's going to be deleterious to the commerce. I, I don't, what, why, what is their reasoning that they're trying to push why this is a good idea to build this bridge in an obviously wrong way? I don't know. Uh, the, the straight answer is light rail. In other words, the people behind this bridge, the IBR, they want light rail with a passion. Now, the last time it was put to vote in Clark County, the voters said no. The last time they allowed a vote in Oregon on light rail, the voters said no. If you ask people about light rail, they're going to say no. Uh, and yet, they see a way to get light rail across that river, even though the transit agency that currently runs buses across the river uh, Clark Transit, uh, Clark uh, Transit has been seeing declining ridership. So it would be like saying, well, we got a hot dog stand here and uh, we've had fewer and fewer customers every single year. So let's build a yeah. new, better hot dog stand, except in this case, the new, better hot dog stand might attract people. But if transit itself is not attracting people, then why spend billions of dollars and why use a bridge that does need to be replaced? Why use that as the excuse to build light rail when it adds a couple of billion dollars and doesn't return the kind of value it ought to return? You also ask about the height. The Coast Guard has a right because river traffic on waterways uh, come, came first. And the, the logic is if, if traffic has to stop or, you know, on the river or the roads, the river takes precedence. So you have to open Absolutely. the bridge. Yeah. So. You know, they, they don't want to build it at the height that the Coast Guard says it needs to be. And why? One thing is, where the bridge lands on either side would have to be, um, you know, farther apart. 
if you if you to catch my meaning, you've got a curving bridge. Yeah. If you want yeah. the curve in the middle to be higher, it either has to be steeper, which doesn't work for light rail, or you have to stretch out the endpoints more. If you think about it in those terms, I know it's radio and we're talking pictures, but uh, but they don't. They're building it about sixty feet lower than what the Coast Guard says is the bare minimum to build the bridge at. And and but even it, you if, know, even if go ahead. Were to go and even if these monkeys were to go and pay off all these people illegally and try to get the end result that they want, it's still going to be it's going to pale in, in, into the problems financially it's going to cause for the people that are trying to use the the water properly to, to ship stuff well, up and down the river. It's and, and here's what they plan to do, John. Think about it this way: because this is such a scam. They they try they did do this with the last bridge. I think they were paying eighty five million dollars, and what they essentially did was they said, well. Who are the people who will have something too tall to fit under the new bridge? They identified, I think it was a half a dozen companies, and they went to the companies and said, look, if you could no longer build the big oil rig or whatever it is you're building that's too big to fit under the new bridge, how much would you, what, what could we compensate you for? Now imagine that's a very attractive offer to a private company. You don't have to build the oil rig or whatever it is that won't fit under the bridge. We'll give you a 10 or 20 million dollars. And those and and you don't have to do anything. You just get the money as a gift from the taxpayers but, in other but, in, to but, shut but you up. In, in typical in typical short sightedness, they are not thinking down the line. About no, they're not. They no, you're right. Yet that that haven't even happened yet. That the bridge would be too short for. Yeah, and once that happens, every other company that says, "Well, we thought about locating. There's a great location uh, east of the interstate bridge, but they built this new bridge and it's going to be there for at least a hundred years. So, and we can't fit we can't fit our product under it. So we we'll go somewhere else. We'll go to Texas or we'll go to some other place to to do our yeah. business because we can't fit under the bridge." So that's a problem. And I don't know if you've heard John Lee and me talking about this, but the crazy stuff that comes out of here already is already so nuts. With the bridge as they've drawn it up, the designs, they're going to put light rail on it. Do you know the height of the light rail station they plan to put at the Vancouver waterfront? It's 80 feet in the air. And you say, hold on, you're going to have a train station 80 feet in the air? Yep. It's got to be there. It's got to be 80 feet. Why? Because that's where the tracks come by. If they raise the bridge to make it tall enough to make the Coast Guard happy, and I think the Coast Guard should be happy, that's their their job is to make sure that the river can be used. I don't know, you might have to have the, the light rail station 120 feet in the air, you know, because they, they haven't even bothered to draw up a design that will meet the Coast Guard's requirements. And the Coast Guard plans, has the ability to veto this project to say it does not meet the requirements, our approval is necessary, you can't build the bridge. That's problem one. Problem two, the upper end of the government's estimates now is $9 billion. And here you've got Pete Buttigieg lying. And I almost guarantee you, John, that if anybody looks in the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper tomorrow or watches TV news tonight, you will not see a single reporter except me calling him out on this lie. He says, we've got, here's the quote, because the funding is in place, it's going to happen, end quote, Pete Buttigieg, Transportation Secretary. Now you say, hold on, it's a nine, it who, may who, cost... Who, who, voted, who voted him Who voted him in to decide what happens? Uh, in uh, he checked a box because he's gay. I mean, they put him in a job because oh, he's oh. gay. I've talked to the guy before. He's not a dumb guy. I mean, he screws up a lot, but he's not stupid. But he was mayor of a small town, South Bend, Indiana. 
And he, by all accounts, did an absolutely awful job of being a small town mayor. So what did Joe Biden do? He said, well, he's gay. Let's make him transportation secretary. That'll check a box. Because if you're working for Biden, all they, all they give a damn about is checking a box. Katenji Brown Jackson is uh, black and female. Kamala Harris is black and female. Uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, his press secretary, is black, female, and gay. A bonus, a threefer. So if you check the boxes, it doesn't matter if you know how to do the job or not. But I think reporters' job is to call this guy out. If they run that soundbite, because the funding is in place, it's going to happen. There is, as we stand here today, $2.6 billion allocated for a bridge whose minimum cost is now going to be $7 billion. That's the minimum cost, is $7 billion. I mean, if your kid came to you and said, hey, Dad, I'm buying a car. Great, kid. How are you doing? I got all the money lined up. Car is $7,000. I got 2600 bucks in the bank. He'd be doing the same. You'd say, hold on, you're buying a $7,000 car and you have 2600 bucks in the bank. How does that math work? And he says, it's Buddha judge math. And then when he tells you he's gay, if you were a Democrat, you'd say, well, you check all the boxes. I guess you get everything you want. John, thanks for the call. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Fix stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I always share numbers with you from ICE and from Customs and Border Protection about to try to give you a sense of what's going on at the southern border. And the numbers, as I understand them, over the last three years during the Biden administration, 8.5 million direct encounters between illegal aliens crossing our border and uh, Customs and Border Protection. Then another 1.7 million estimated gotaways and then an unknown number who were neither directly encountered by CBP or uh, were gotaways, in other words, spotted by Customs and Border Protection, but not actually approached or apprehended. There's some other number. Now, how big is that? I don't know. But it turns out that it looks like the Biden administration has been forcing ICE to hide information from the public. And I thought we'd talk about that with Matt O'Brien, who's director of investigations for IRLI, that's the Immigration Reform Law Institute, and a former immigration judge. Your Honor, welcome back. Thank you very much. I want to ask you about this. Have they been hiding information? Yeah, not only have they been hiding the numbers of people who have been released into the interior of the United States, uh, but now they're trying to hide the identities of the few people that ICE is arresting. Um, we did a study, and we found that under the Trump administration, 95% of press releases contained basic information about uh, the individuals that ICE is arresting, and the 3% where they didn't were situations where ICE couldn't verify the identity. Uh, the Biden administration is only naming 67% of the criminal aliens who they are arresting, and almost all of that 67% is in situations where the press or a local police department has already named the aliens. So they're trying to hide criminal aliens and keep them in the United States. And, you know, one of the concerns I've had, uh, Judge O'Brien, is this, that the system that's been described publicly for how these people get shipped around the country, especially if they're flying, well, yeah, if they're getting on an airplane, 
early on, a lot of us said, well, how are they getting on airplanes without picture ID? And they say, well, they're using the document that the CBP wrote them, basically a ticket that they got that says you came in illegally. Here's a date somewhere in the future, maybe six, seven, even as much as 10 years from now, you're to show up in court. And then, as I understand it, at Tucson in particular, when the illegals show up in the special line that's designated only for them and off limits to regular American citizens who are second class, and they're asked, what is your name? They say, well, my name is this and my date of birth is this. Well, the problem with that is, Judge O'Brien, is that I've talked to people who've been down on the border doing independent work, and they say, you find thousands of pieces of picture ID that are thrown away by people about to cross into America illegally. And and uh, obviously the next question is, why would somebody throw away their picture ID? Because it's from Cuba or it's from another country and they don't want to be identified as being from there. They know the magic word is you've got to say I'm from you know, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running from uh, pro persecution and I'm seeking asylum. And they can't afford to be identified as coming from somewhere else. So whatever name they give to Border Patrol and date of birth and everything else gets put in the system. And at Tucson, they look at this illegal who wants to get on a, an airplane with a taxpayer-funded ticket and without picture ID, and they say, what's your name? And as long as he can repeat back the fake name he gave to Border Patrol and the fake DOB, they look in the system and say, yep, you're right here in the system. Joe Jones, born in Guatemala, date of birth, 1-1, you know, whatever. And, and, and we're allowing them to create fake records within our government's computers. Is that fair to say? Oh, it's 100% accurate, and, and it's beyond crazy. So we have the CBP-1 app, which basically is like global entry for illegal aliens. So these people give information that we have absolutely no way of verifying. They put it into this computer database that's basically Ali Mayorkas's personal system for registering all of these illegals. And then where you and I have to present a real ID document in order to get to the, the gate area of the airport, these folks are being allowed to use whatever bogus name they have put through CBP-1 and a notice to appear in immigration court as a document to board a flight. And there's no way to vet these people. And any sixth grader who is enterprising could go on Google and find a PDF document of the notice to appear and fake one. So, I mean, this is clearly the actions of an administration that is more interested in helping people violate U.S. immigration laws than they are in protecting the public safety and national security interests of the American public. I'm talking to Judge Matt O'Brien, who's a former immigration judge and now with the Immigration Reform Law Institute. You mentioned something that may, may, may or may not resonate with my audience. You mentioned global entry. And do, I want people to realize how hard it is for an American citizen to get that. I don't go, you know, I don't go on long trips overseas very often, but a friend of mine was encouraging me to get that. And I said, okay, I've got a passport. I've already got the uh, real ID. I've got an enhanced driver's license. I've got all that stuff. I even had the TSA pre-check nonsense. And, uh, and I had all that. I said, I want to get global entry. They said, okay, you have to fill out a whole bunch of stuff online, provide your ID, send it in and, and wait for a period of time, usually weeks or months, for them to come back and say, okay, we've current confirmed all of that. You can get your global entry as soon as you arrange an in-person interview. 
And I said, okay, I looked online for when was the next date. The next date within a thousand miles of where I live, you know, even if you're willing to hop on a plane and fly somewhere to get this done, was more than a year away. And that's what they make Americans go through to get what you just described. It basically is global entry. Oh, you're in the system? Okay, you go on through. But for citizens, You've got to sit for an in-person interview. You've got to provide a stack of documents. You've got to let them do a full background check on you and everything else for citizens to be treated that way. I mean, I, th this is so, it, it ought to anger Americans that illegal aliens have become the first-class citizens and Americans are now second-class. It, it's absolute insanity. I just actually did global entry myself, and I ran the National Security Division at, uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services before I was an immigration judge. I was a trial attorney with ICE. I've held all kinds of crazy clearances. The government has so much information on me. When I buy a pair of socks on Amazon, something <laughs> pops on a screen somewhere. And yet I had to go through this ridiculous process in order to get a global entry card. And I I'm sitting there doing this as I'm in the airport in Baltimore when I went for the interview. I'm literally seeing the signs for the illegal aliens to go into the special line with their notices to appear. And my wife, who is with me, who has also worked for Homeland Security, looked at this and went, oh, my God, what is going on here? How can this be happening? And yet it is. It's like we've fallen through the looking glass and you know, we are in a Fellini movie about how to run an immigration system. It's absolute, complete, total insanity. It sounds like you even had to fly somewhere to get an interview, didn't you? Uh, I did. I, I'm based out of uh, out of uh, Northern Virginia, outside of Washington. That's where I live. And I had to drive uh, about an hour and 15 minutes uh, to go to Baltimore oh, to get an interview because they were so backed up at these three sites around Washington where they do it, which are in the Dulles Airport, the Reagan Airport, and at the Reagan Building in downtown Washington. I think they were backed up, uh, you know, for two to three years at those locations. That was my experience as well. Matt, thanks for the work you do for IRLI, and thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. That is Judge Matt O'Brien, former immigration judge now with the Immigration Reform Law Institute. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show. Check out our Instagram feed and other social media. You can even tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? 
then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Ron's on the line from Tacoma, listening on the Radio Northwest Network and uh, Talk Radio 570 KVI. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today? Hey, just a little concern there, Lars. Uh, j- just uh, let you know that uh, I think we might have lost Biden today. He's he's probably gone full Monty here. Uh, apparently, he, uh, yeah, he, he he apparently doesn't realize that he's president today. Uh, he's he's definitely putting out there that uh, Trump uh, that he would never be like him and allow uh, Russia, Putin, to uh, ever uh, raid in on any. Uh, and on any other lands under his watch, which is confusing because that, that's what he did on his watch. So I, I'm concerned for him today. We should probably send some gentlemen over there in white jackets and review him. And, and by the way, uh, he's also gone after Trump. And, and I don't just defend Trump. I, I defend Trump when I think he's right. Uh, in this case, Biden actually went after Trump. And here's why. Trump said, look, if some of our NATO allies are not willing to pay what they agreed to be part of NATO, that, uh, that, that, you know, are we supposed to rush to their rescue? Uh, and, and, you know, Biden is saying this is an invitation to Russia to invade our allies. I think that's hogwash. Uh, Trump did no such thing. What he has done is he said, look, if you don't spend money on your own defense as you agreed to, then you're not part of NATO. And we don't see any need to come and defend you because that's what NATO is all about. They don't pay dues to an organization. I think some, some people think of it that way. It's not that at all. It says if you want to be part of NATO, you have to agree to spend a certain percentage of your income, uh, your national income, your gross domestic product on your own defense. And why? Because if all the NATO members provide for their own an adequate level of their own defense how likely are they going to be to call on us to defend them less likely right and that was that was the idea of nato it wasn't hey we're going to form an organization and the united states will pay all the bills for defending all these countries even countries that are not the united states said no it's a mutual aid pack and it says an attack on one is an attack on all but you all have to do your part as well and what trump pointed out which every other president before him, I think, I don't know if Reagan was, was guilty of this, but I, I every other president has been guilty of knowing the NATO members were saying, yeah, it says on paper we're supposed to spend this much, but we feel like spending on something else. So, yeah, so, so they just didn't do it until Trump called them on it. And at that point, a lot of those countries got with the program and they said, okay, we'll go ahead and we'll provide more of what we promised to do. Let's go to Margaret. Hey, Margaret, welcome to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Well, today is a special election in Clark County for um, the Battleground, Camas, Woodland, and its uh, school districts, and its yep. Germania County, Green Mountain. 
And what I want to say is they shouldn't be having a special election in February. They could put I this agree. election in the general. I or agree. Or at least in the primary. This, so the turnout is, not surprisingly, very low. Um, I read somewhere about 22%. I don't know what it will end up being. But, um, you know, this is stealthy the way they do this. And also in the Kama School District, and that's where I live, in Kama, uh, they started the year with an illegal teacher strike. So I'm not inclined to vote favorably on either of the two tax, property tax um, hike proposition I, I wouldn't either on the ballot I, i'm not in that district but i wouldn't either and margaret i think there are two reasons to vote no on the levies number one you started the year you had this illegal teacher strike the teachers demanded more you agreed to pay that's one reason to vote no because all you did was you got held up by the teachers union and you knuckled under problem one problem two Statewide, I don't know what the numbers are for Camas and some of those other districts, but statewide, about, what is it, about 50% of the kids can do math at an acceptable level, according to the statewide testing, and about 50% can read at an acceptable level. 50% success with the education of children? Why does that deserve more money? Does that make sense to you, Margaret? Okay, let's go to Bill. Hey, Bill, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, mega, mega kudos from the big city of Coquille, Oregon. Lars, real quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went down to oh, a DMV here a while back to renew my handicap plate that you hang on your mirror. And while I was there, I noticed that my driver's license was due within a couple of weeks. So I said to the clerk, can I renew my driver's license? And he looked at me kind of funny. He says, well, do you have your birth certificate with you? And I said, excuse me? And I said, I have a valid driver's license, my government retirement card with my uh, photograph, my concealed carry permit with my photograph, and my veteran's uh, medical service card with my photograph. He said, not good enough. you got to have a birth certificate. And my response was, well, these illegal invaders coming across the border, in order for them to get a driver's license, do they need a birth certificate? And he poo-pooed me off. So I went and got my birth certificate and got my license anyway. But I thought people should know just well, we need to get torches and pitchforks and start marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. If they actually applied it to everybody, uh, because Oregon was very, Oregon and Washington were both very late to the game in coming into compliance with real ID. It was passed, I think, three years after the 9-11 terrorist attack, saying we ought to have government ID that actually proves you have a right to be in the country, and they finally got with it 20 years later. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. 
Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.